Just taking your seats. Please go ahead, open your Bibles to 2 John. And as you're opening God's Word this morning, as we're going to look together at what He has for us, I want to just ask you this morning to think for a minute about those situations in your life where your heart is inclined either you know, towards one direction, one disposition, or the other. And think particularly about those times when to hold fast to both of those at the same time just isn't possible. For example, I'm, I'm thinking of things like this, things like pursuing darkness and pursuing light. Or holding fast in trusting God and in, in, in calmness in your hearts or being in disarray and chaos. Maybe being full of despair on one hand or being filled with hope on the other. You see, these things cannot coexist at the same time. And these are just a, a handful of examples of what we want to consider this morning. But what about truth and love? What about truth and love? There are many who suggest that truth and love are opposed to one another, whereas to incline our hearts to one is to necessarily move away from the other. As though when it comes to truth and love, we must choose either or because we can't have both. And this simply isn't biblical thinking even though sometimes maybe it seems that way or others are trying to persuade us in that way, truth and love are not alternative inclinations that we must choose between. They're not at odds with one another, but rather they are wonderful companions that actually must come alongside one another for either to actually be authentic. See, truth that isn't lived out in love isn't real truth. And love that isn't grounded in the truth isn't really love. No biblical author emphasizes this more than the Apostle John. And so as we can continue our summer series this morning looking at short postcard-sized portions of Scripture, this morning we're going to look at the second letter written by the Apostle John, and he's going to compel us toward both truth and love out of a concern for us to be pursuing authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. So as you look at your Bibles to the second letter of John, just follow along with me as I read. We're going to just read right through from beginning to end. The Word of God says this, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, 
just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. In form, this letter really is just like a postcard, isn't it? You know, short and sweet and um, beginning with a hello, how are you? Ending with a I hope to see you soon and in the middle, a little message. This would have been a, a really common looking letter in the first century. And yet this is no common letter at all. This is the inspired word of God. The to and from in this letter aren't explicitly stated. From the earliest time in church history, John the Apostle has been recognized as having penned this letter. Copies of the letter, you know, manuscript autographs were marked, second letter of John. And when we read this alongside with the first letter and the third letter, as well as the Gospel of John, it's clear these were all written by the, by the same one, the apostle, who called himself the one whom Jesus loved. And yet in this letter, he, he identifies himself as the elder. And we're not sure why he doesn't just simply give his name. We, we don't know. We can't be sure of this. But we do know that it wasn't unusual for the apostles to identify themselves as elders. And possibly... In this case, the elder would appropriately let the readers know exactly who it's from if, if the courier who was handling the letter didn't tell them. Because at this time, the, letter that, or the time that this letter was written, the apostle John would have been the only living apostle. And so he says, the elder writes to you. And then to whom he wrote it is equally, probably actually even more, not equally, but even more, just um, undiscerning in terms of being exact as to who he's writing to. He says, the elect lady. We can't be definitive about who he's writing to. There's, there's two ways that this could be taken. And, and one is that John could be writing to an unnamed lady and her children. He, he could be writing to a, a woman in the church and her children with a, a personal message for them because of circumstances. Or he could be writing to the church and the members of the church. So the term elect lady could be referring to the church and her members. Right? Notice the, the pronoun used there. We refer to the church in feminine pronouns. The church is called she. The church is called the bride of Christ. And so this could easily be the church and her members, the children, whom John refers to in other places, in other writings. He refers to members of the church, the body of Christ, as children. And the reason why he doesn't identify explicitly who he's writing to, again, is not crystal clear. We don't know, but here's what we can know. 
he's writing to believers in Jesus Christ. He's writing to those who are recognized as part of the body, partakers of love and truth in the Father and in the Son. And so for us, whoever this is written to, it is written as well for our instruction. So what we want to do is we want to delve into this letter this morning and we want to find three instructions toward authentic Christianity. That's what we're going to see. Three instructions toward authentic Christianity. And the first is this, practice love. Practice love, the apostle says. Again, John is known as the apostle of love. And he's about to call these believers to love one another. And what he does first is he exemplifies what God wants all of us to be about as he writes to them, saying, I love you. Whom I love, he says. And it's important that we are thinking about this love in biblical terms. We ask the question, what does he mean when he says, I love you? Because I love you means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? But according to God's word, I love you means something like this. I have a deep feeling of affection for you. And I desire your greatest good. And I am ready to engage myself for your good, even if at a cost to myself. Okay, so that's a way of of talking about biblical love. I have a deep feeling of affection for you, and I desire your greatest good, and I am ready or eager to engage myself for your good, even if at a cost to myself. So when we say that this letter tells us to practice love, this, this kind of love is what we're going to see is intended. This kind of love that the Apostle John is calling us to has some distinguishing marks. First, we see that it is a love that is grounded in the truth. It's a love that is grounded in the truth. It goes together hand in hand with truth. He says, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. That's a lot of truth in just two verses. And again, we see that far from the idea that love and truth could be in opposition to one another, as if we must incline to one over the other, the biblical reality is that these two go together inseparably. If we try to love without the truth, we will have a a shallow affection, void of any actual effectiveness toward another's greatest good because we either falsely understand what that greatest good actually is or maybe we falsely believe that we can love someone while considering our own interest as important and theirs not so much. Knowing what is true what corresponds to reality according to what God has revealed to us and being committed to that truth is what properly undergirds our love for one another. As believers, we share a common love because we're united in an understanding of what is true. This is why John can say to these people that everyone who knows the truth loves you too. It's because the same truth has taken up residence inside each and every follower of Christ. 
And the crux of this truth is the good news of Jesus Christ. That though we were once alienated, separate from God, He has drawn us near and He's adopted us into His family. And for for all who place their faith in Christ become brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so when we see one another, we can identify with one another based on the truth and, and we can love each other. The bond of love, especially among believers, because of the common spirit of truth that abides in us, is a profound thing. And it's rooted and it's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that next, as we see that love is demonstrated in the gospel. In verse 3, we, we see that if we have the truth of the gospel... Right? We know that grace and mercy and peace will be with each and every one of us, given to us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. We know that He's shown us love in, in undeserved favor. He's looked upon us, he, He's seen that we do not deserve His love, and yet He extends it anyways. And then he keeps us continuing on in this grace. He's loved us by meeting us in our neediness with compassion. By by not repaying us according to what we deserve, but instead showing us mercy and keeping us on in this mercy. And when we have this grace and mercy, it leads to peace. He loved us by forgiving our sins, by making us no longer enemies. Rather, he's, like I said, adopted us into his family. And he keeps us going on in this peace. Peace with him and and peace in our hearts. This is the truth and love of God. That the Father sent the Son to rescue us from condemnation and to reconcile us to himself for all eternity. And the more we understand this and commit ourselves to the truth of the gospel, the more we will be, we will be able to truly practice this self-giving love toward others, toward one another. So I'll ask you, if, if, if you're having a hard time loving others, here's, here's what you can do. Here's what I'll ask you to do. Go back and consider the love that's been shown to you by God. This is helpful when thinking about any virtue of godliness. Maybe it's patience or, or humility, especially with love. When we're having trouble walking in these ways, we need to think about how God has acted thus toward us. We're called to this love. And, and John, he, he sees this happening in, in certain cases. He says in verse 4, I, I, I found some of your children walking in the truth. And it brought me much joy. And then he turns and he asks her in verse 5, he says, make this a practice of your life too. Make sure you're loving others. With a love that is, yes, grounded in the truth and a love that's demonstrated in the gospel and then thirdly, a love that is commanded in the church. He explains that this is always been at the heart of Jesus' teaching. 
What John's asking them to do and what John is asking us to do is not some new and novel idea. This is in accordance with the message received from the beginning. The command that came from the very mouth of Jesus, recorded in John's gospel as he tells us that Jesus said, this is my commandment. Jesus had had many commandments, right? But he, he narrows it down to a singular focus. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. (laughs) And think about it, John is expressing and, and exercising and practicing love towards those to whom he's writing by commanding them to love one another. He says, I'm telling you what is good for you. Love each other. As Jesus gave himself up for his friends, you also love one another in the same way. Serve one another. Meet one another's needs. Look out for one another's interests. Honor one another. Prefer one another. Forgive one another. Build one another up. This is love. This is what verse 6 says, is to live out what Jesus taught. Look at verse 6. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it, and it is love. So he says, this is love, walk in the commandments. This is how you'll know you're walking in the commandments if you're walking in love. Sounds kind of circular, right? But that's the point. One writer said this, the test of love is obedience to God's commands, and the test of obedience is whether one walks in love. So if you want to know, am I following Jesus' commands? Is my life characteristic of one who's following what Jesus told me to do? That's what a Christian is, by the way, a Christ follower. Someone who follows Jesus. Ask this question, does my life display a love for others, particularly others in the church? Another writer said it like this, Jesus' commandments are those varied activities which mark out the path of love. That's why he he said all the commandments can be summed up in this, love God and love one another. When we walk in this path, practicing this kind of love, we grow up into the likeness of our Savior. And this is authentic Christianity. Walk this way, John says, practice Love. Next, John says that he wants us to protect the truth. Protect the truth. At the end of the first century when this letter was written, up until today and furthermore until the day when Jesus comes back, there are many who are about the business of corrupting the truth about Jesus Christ. And what we see in these next several verses, is that while we're to walk in love, at the same time, we're called to protect the truth. And what we see is that the practicing of love and the protecting of truth are intimately, closely tied together. It's it's not just two separate Christian virtues that really aren't linked to one another. There's a very important word, actually, in verse 7. Do you see that word that begins verse 7? For. For. It's in this that we see that the first way we protect the truth is by residing in commanded love. Residing in commanded love. Living 
out the love that we're commanded to live out is a means by which or the reason why we protect the truth. Let me say that a little differently. The reason that John is calling us here, specifically in this context, to love one another is because he knows there's false teachers coming who are trying to deceive the church and he knows that that love is going to have an effect on protecting the truth. That's why he says four. Love one another because many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Here, secondly, he wants us to protect the truth by recognizing that there's corrupted truth. In the same way that true Christ followers go out into the world to make disciples, so too does the enemy have his deceivers going out into the world to spread false truth about Jesus. It's just reality. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, don't be surprised that this is happening. It's it's no wonder, he says, that there's workers of deceit out there. For even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So John tells us here, we need to expect this. We need to be able to recognize it when we see it. Not everyone, sadly, who names the name of Jesus Christ is speaking in accordance with the truth. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in this world and the word of God teaches us that there is a great Antichrist that will come at the very end of the age. But that even now there are lesser Antichrists at work. Spiritual forces working through human deceivers making war against God and his people. And listen, their weapon of choice, their weapon of choice is lies. Wherever we see these antichrists, we see deception and error trying to distort the truth of Christianity. In this case, they're claiming that Jesus wasn't truly human, which, if that were true, would compromise the entire gospel. It would compromise his atoning work for us. It would compromise his identifying with us and saving us by his death and resurrection. Sometimes they're going to say that Jesus didn't truly come as man. Sometimes they're going to say that he did come in the flesh, but that he's not the son of God. Or, or that, okay, he's the son of God, but he's not divine. He's not the eternal son of God. And we need to be aware of all of these false teachings and be able to recognize them as such. Maybe just by way of application to take it a step further, maybe, maybe we're not going to be tricked about the person and work of Jesus Christ, but we, we also need to be training ourselves in principle here to recognize any so-called Christian teaching, any so-called doctrine that is not in accordance with the sound truths of the Bible. In his first letter, John says in chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
There's plenty of deception out there. And we don't want to be deceived. And that's why we need to not only recognize corrupt truth, but we need to protect the truth by rejecting corrupted truth. We need to recognize it, and then we need to reject it. Because not everyone who claims to represent Jesus needs to be accepted. Look again at verse 8. Here's the warning. Watch yourselves, John says, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone, he says, who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Some really strong warnings here that we need to take heed to. He says, watch yourself. If if you don't abide in proper teaching, any influence that authentic truth we or you may have thought to have had an effect on your life will be proven to be for naught. The the word of God is clear. If if anyone leaves behind the pure teaching of Christ and, and moves on ahead as though they were making some kind of progress above and beyond the biblical message, they don't have God. They don't have God. When he talks about the teaching of Christ here, we might think, well, is this talking about the, the teaching about Christ? Or is it talking about the, the teachings that Christ taught? I think the answer is yes. It's, it's both. It's both. It's, it's everything that we read in our Bibles from from the apostles, from, from their recording what Jesus wrote, to the Spirit of God moving in them to, to write these inspired words. We need to know our Bibles so that we can discern truth from error and so that then we can reject the error. Listen, this, this is so critical to know that the Word of God cannot be improved upon. And that those who propagate something new, who offer some innovative teaching about Jesus that's contrary to sound apostolic teaching, we need to reject them. We have a responsibility in this. It's true, yes, that God is going to protect his people. He guards us, but it's equally true that we are commanded to be diligent, to watch out for and turn away from error. Verse 10 says, if if anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Don't let him in and don't greet him if he comes with a different teaching. Now, what does this mean? Because um, we might take some things from this that aren't necessarily intended by the author. We need to understand what's being said here in its context. Properly, This is not not talking about not letting anyone step inside your front door who doesn't believe the truth about Jesus Christ. That's not what this is saying. It's not even saying that we can't say hello to someone who teaches something differently. What this is talking about when it says comes to you is an official Christian teaching capacity. It's what one described as heretical proselyting intentions. They come as though they were representing true Christianity, as one with authority, teaching truth that you ought to believe. 
In Bible times, it would not have been uncommon for traveling teachers to move from town to town, and of course, they would need a place to stay. We, we remember this even from when Jesus sent out his disciples, right? He talked about this kind of thing. And so if we come back to the issue of who received this letter, we have a couple of scenarios that this could be talking about. First, it could be talking, if this is a specific lady that John's writing to, maybe he's writing because she's showing hospitality to false teachers. She's, she's letting them, she's embracing them, giving them a place to stay, putting them up. And to do this in an ancient culture is to act as a guarantor to the rest of the community, is to put your stamp of approval on this individual and their teaching. And if this is the case, we, we would certainly want to be careful of any interaction that we might have with these kinds of people that would give any appearance, whatever, of our acceptance or affirmation of them to anyone who might be watching, to them themselves, of course, or even, even to leave the door open for us to be influenced by their teaching. It's a pun intended there, by the way. Some of you got that. If this is written to a church, if this is written to a church, then the issue might be allowing a teacher to come in and have a speaking platform bringing a message that's contrary to proper biblical teaching. And of course, that would be a very, very bad idea. In any case, we, we must be ready to reject those who teach corrupted truth about the Son of God. And we can't, for the sake of what is you know, so-called love that would be devoid of the truth. We can't embrace those as brothers or sisters who are not truly such. And this is where the, the greeting aspect comes in. Right? It's not talking about, hi, how, how, how are you doing? You know, my name is... We have to realize that in the New Testament, greetings between believers carry much stronger Christian content. You know, this letter being an example, verse 3, right? Grace and mercy and peace will be with us. Right? It's to embrace as, as, a, as a fellow follower of Christ in your greeting. He says, don't do this. Be careful. Be careful. Who, whom you give the impression is a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. This is really serious stuff. And listen, if it, if it sounds harsh, listen, listen to this. The, the gospel is at stake. And Paul, he, he wrote in Galatians chapter 1, he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Similar issue in Galatia. These false teachers are coming and they're teaching something else about salvation. And Paul says, are you listening to them as though there's another gospel? He says, not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now listen to what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, the true gospel, let him be accursed. There is certainly, biblically speaking, a time for calling what is false, false. Because we know that behind their going out is the intention to deceive and to destroy. 
Now here's the um, here's the qualifier. This is not a license for us to be hateful, right? It's not a license for us to be sinful in any other way in our interactions. While the Bible says all of this about rejecting false teaching, it also says that we need to be careful even when correcting our opponents to do so with gentleness. We reject the truth, sorry, the corrupted truth. We reject the corrupted truth. And then I want to look just quickly back. We skipped over the second half of verse 9. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this because it's, it's very clear that the alternative to uh, rejecting corrupt truth is that we need to protect the truth by remaining in conveyed truth. Remaining in conveyed truth. Verse 9, halfway through, it says, Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. We need to protect the truth. We need to abide in the true teaching of Christ so that we can be assured of our salvation. The truth that's been revealed, handed down to us, is where we must remain. And we must not go on ahead. Again in 1 John, the apostle says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Abide in His teaching. Know the Word. Believe the Word. Hold fast to the Word. Come back to the Word again and again and again because this This is your life. This is your life. This is how you will abide with the Father and the Son. This is authentic Christianity. And beyond even so-called Christian teachers who are false, we, we have a whole world screaming down our throats telling us that what we believe about Jesus isn't true. Right? They, you're wrong, they say. You, you say that Jesus, this Jesus you believe in, he's real and he's coming back? Where is he? Where is he? And we need to abide in the truth. We, we need to guard our hearts against any deception, against any assault of the enemy that would pull us away from the truth. We need to recognize For the false, corrupt teaching, we need to reject it, and we need to love one another to help each other in this. And listen, when when these things are happening, when we do these things, thirdly, we promote joy. We promote joy. John signs off In the final two verses, in verse 12, he says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. 
even though many deceivers have gone out into the world, deviating from the true doctrine, trying to tear down believers and the bond of love between believers. John says, don't let them do this. Hold fast with me to the truth. Keep on loving one another, and then we will share much joy together. And he says, we'll talk more about this when I come, but for now, the postcard must suffice. And there's such an obvious application here. Just a quick sidebar on the importance of face-to-face communication. Look, listen, a text or an email oftentimes just doesn't fit the bill, okay? I just needed to say it. If it's a serious, a serious matter that needs to be discussed... Face-to-face is much better. Things like body language and tone of voice and facial expressions, these are really helpful. All right, like I said, that was a digression, but needed to be said. What does John long for here? As he comes, as he brings this to a close, what does he long for as he says goodbye and he looks forward to meeting with this group of believers, whoever they may be, he longs that together they would come together and that their joy would be full. He longs to to come together in the face of opposition, to persevere together with his fellow saints in following Christ's commands to love one another, And he says, in doing so, this will promote joy in your heart and in my heart. I think this begs the question, how how much of a premium should we be placing on joy in the authentic Christian life? Is Is it really right to be primarily concerned with promoting joy in one another? Is joy... You know, does it belong together with truth and love, or is it something a little different? Is it okay to emphasize joy in the same way that we emphasize these other things? You know, maybe you're persuaded, or or you already came this morning knowing that, that truth and love need to go together. But now we're introducing this pursuit of joy. Well, how do we think about this? What I want to do is I want to turn and look at what Jesus says. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 15. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples near the end of his earthly ministry. He's preparing them to go on living with the Spirit as opposed to Him there in their midst. And in verse 10 of chapter 15, He says, If you keep My commandments, right, this is, this is paramount. If you walk in truth and love, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. Okay, if you keep My commandments, then you will abide in My love just as I abide in the Father's love. Now, look at Jesus' explanation for why he wants us to know these things. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you so that, ready, that's, 
Here's the purpose. Here's why I told you to walk in my commandments. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is for our joy in him. Jesus desires that we would be filled up with his joy. And often we, we don't consider that as primary to authentic Christianity. And yet John, he, he writes this letter and, and he says, look, there's deceivers coming and they're trying to trick you into believing something that's not true about Jesus. So here's what you need to do. You need to guard yourself against the truth. And the main way you're going to do that is by loving one another. And listen, when you do that, there will be cause for much rejoicing among us. It's amazing to think about. We should promote joy. We should, and, and that's why the, the New Testament writers like Luke and Paul and James and Peter and John and Jude, they all, we find them all promoting joy again and again throughout their letters. And this joy comes when we practice love and we protect the truth. Many deceivers and antichrists have gone out into the world and they still are, by the way. But listen, they cannot stop the kingdom of God. They can't stop us from loving one another. They can't stop us from abiding in the truth. They can't stop our joy in the Lord and they cannot stop Jesus from coming back and setting all things right. Jesus is coming back. He will judge the living and the dead. He is, he is looking for a people who are abiding in Him, abiding in love, abiding in truth, abiding in joy. And where, when He comes where He finds that there is not authentic Christianity, this will be done away with. And every knee will bow before him. And my heart for you this morning is, is that you would be walking in this authentic Christianity. Maybe you've come this morning and, and you don't know Christ and the things that we're describing seem foreign to you. I, I, I want to let you know you're invited to come to Jesus. You're invited to experience this authentic Christianity the love and the truth and the joy can be yours if you will bow the knee today to Jesus Christ. So that when he comes, your knees will bow before him as Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are part of the family of God, let us continue on together practicing love, protecting the truth, promoting joy in one another until the day that he does come. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, it opens up our very innermost being and it pierces our hearts and it teaches us how to walk. Lord, help us to walk in it. Help us to see what you have for us. Help us, Lord, to see where our hearts are inclined toward things that are not of you, Lord, and draw us back, we pray. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for failing to keep the commands of Christ, 
to love one another. Forgive us, Lord, for failing to protect the truth. Maybe in ways that are spoken or unspoken. Lord, we pray you would, you would guide us in your truth. As we wait, Lord, as we know that this world is full of many deceivers, as we wait for the day when we will look and we will see Christ returning for his bride, Lord, help us to have great joy and anticipation. And Lord, as we sing these truths now, would, would you cause us to just reflect on your goodness and your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen.